The 86th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett. Says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. Made. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews. Off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys shortly after Carolina gets blown out at home, 87 to 67. To Duke in the first of two matchups this year with the Blue Devils. Uh, It was Carolina's first home loss of the season. Mm, Hubert Davis now becomes the third coach in the last – of third of the last four UNC coaches to lose their first game against the Blue Devils, joining both Bill Guthridge and Roy Williams, the lone guy to win his first game against Duke in recent memory. That was Matt Doherty back in his first season when Carolina won in Cameron Indoor Stadium. The third largest win for Coach K against Carolina in the Smith Center. Of course, as we knew, entering the game, this was his final trip to Chapel Hill, and his team put on a legendary performance, one he can be very proud of tonight. The loss also drops Carolina now to 0-7 against quad one opponents. Really making it hard to envision this team making a, making the NCAA tournament the way that they've played against elite competition. But, you know, this is a rivalry that is built upon bringing out the best in both teams and both teams rising to the occasion and putting on usually a legendary basketball game. And that wasn't the case tonight. One team showed up. The other team did not. And as we talked about entering the game, I think we I, I think we would know by the first media timeout if Carolina was going to be ready to play or not. And it was it was pretty evident tonight that that Duke was the better prepared team, the better coach team. And and that's why they really laid it on Carolina tonight in Smith Center. It's simply unacceptable. Uh, it's a rivalry matchup where there should be the energy from the word go. And this team looks scared and embarrassed themselves. And not really sure what positive things you can really take out of this game. Um, Brady, Brady Manick played well. Mm-hmm. Leaky Black had a pretty solid night defensively. But this is this is a scary moment because this was the one game where you felt like it was guaranteed that you were going to get a really good effort, and you didn't. There were guys that were lackadaisical on the floor. There were guys that, frankly, just didn't care. 
Um, and that's that's shocking. And that's something that you, you wonder how you can get them up for a game against a bad Clemson team, uh, bad Syracuse team, those types of games coming up. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, the fact that they got destroyed not only in the rivalry game, but to also be at home, that was the one area where you felt like this team's taking care of business. Now, maybe this is an, an anomaly. Maybe this is like last year's game against Marquette. Well, you better hope so, because if not, the wheels on this bus could fall off pretty quickly, and you could be looking at a really bad situation if Carolina's not careful. If this now becomes Carolina's fourth loss of 20 points or more in, in ACC play. Um, and this is – it's it's a really – it was really frustrating because you, you, you factor the robbery into it, okay? It's your arch nemesis's final time coming into your building. And, look, you got to give the crowd a lot of credit. They were engaged from the word go, and they stayed in the game up until they really didn't have a choice not to stay in the game. Um, so you had that going. It was Schubert Davis's first time in the rivalry. He's the, the caretaker of this on the Carolina side of things. Next year it'll be John Shire for Duke. They're the future of the rivalry. And so you had that going into it. But in a lot of different ways, Carolina's season was on the line tonight because you don't have an NCAA tournament resume. A win over Duke gives you something. Something to, to to hang your hat on when it comes to Selection Sunday, and that didn't happen. And I think that's that's where you got to be the most disheartened is the not only did you come out flat against your rival, you came out flat against your rival with everything on the line, and you you simply I, I told you this kind of right as the game started. They didn't look ready when they were being introduced. It was kind of me hoping that they were just that locked in. No. In their own building, this team was overwhelmed by the moment. And that's a really frustrating thing to say because you're not as talented as Duke. And we knew that going into the game. But you got more experience. You've had more guys that have played in that environment than they have. And Duke didn't ne- never looked phased by what was going on. And it was it was really a frustrating thing. I I know Hubert Davis tried some different things. He threw out a zone. It got some stops. It didn't get some stops. He threw out a press. It forced a bad shot or two. But he didn't push the right buttons tonight. And it just simply – everything Carolina threw at Duke, which wasn't a whole lot, Duke had an answer for. And it, it's really hard envisioning this team making any any progress. You know, we, we talked going into the game that um, if there was any sort of them turning the corner, the last four games, that, that, that would have been validated with the win over Duke tonight. And after tonight, you're back where you were after blowout losses at Miami and at Wake Forest. You're you're back searching searching for answers. 
And you can only do that so many times before eventually you're just never going to find the answers to the questions that you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, we got to this point pretty quickly on the football side of things, and now it feels like we're kind of there with the – with, with the basketball team, you know, we felt like this was their chance. You're right to turn the corner. And and now, I mean, look, I, I don't think that you're out of the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't think you even necessarily have to win the game against Duke at the end of the season. But now, I mean, your margin for error is extremely thin. I think you've probably got to win the rest of your conference games and you've probably got to at least keep it close in the season finale against Duke, or you have to do some pretty good damage or potentially win it in the ACC tournament. It's, it's just, I, I, I'm, like I said, tonight has concerned me the most of any game that they've lost this season. And I know the margin wasn't as big as some of the other Games that we've you know seen this year from them, were, they were down twenty eight though in the second yeah, half. Yeah, and they and they probably should have lost by thirty. They just got lucky that Duke took their foot off the gas. Um, but to to not be ready to go and to not really care that you were getting blown out in the rivalry game. I mean, here's my thing: How was there no no fight back? No fight? How was there nobody just trying to do something to generate? some emotion, trying to get, I mean, pushing and shoving guys. Who cares? Like, you need somebody that wants to try to bring some energy to your team. You don't have that guy. You haven't had that guy really in almost three years. And maybe Cole Anthony had a little bit of it, but especially the last two years, you do not have a vocal presence on the court, somebody that, is energetic when they're out there playing. The most energetic guys are the dudes at the end of the bench that never see the floor. That's that's an issue. I don't – and there's no solution on this roster right now. None of these guys are – none of these guys bring that energy. And, frankly, I think some of them just don't care. I really do. I think some really don't care what honestly happens. They're worried about what happens when they move on. Um, and that's fine, but you're, I mean, it's, it's going to be sooner rather than later and the road to get there is not going to be pretty as we're seeing right now. So you, you've got to find somebody that, that cares. And the fact that, you know, it just looked like to a lot of these guys tonight was another night and it honestly looked like they are working nine to five jobs. Most of the time that they take the court is not a good sign at all. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much Hubert Davis can honestly do about that. I don't think I, I don't think that you can give guys a care factor if it's just not there for them. Well, the problem is when it comes to that, and I and and look, I've I've said what I've said about Hubert Davis. Can't walk it back. I'm not gonna walk it back because I I feel like my concerns that I had have been validated. And continue to be validated. But this is where his own words have come back to bite him in the butt. You go back to the introductory press conference. North Carolina is going to show up, shoot around, practice, game day. North Carolina is going to be there. 
you've been blown out four times in conference play and three other and two other times in in in, in non-conference play. And after really the the Tennessee loss and the Kentucky loss, this isn't going to happen again. Well, what happened? It's happened again multiple times. You can't look at the way the game was played in the first half and see that Caleb Love was a negatively affecting your your team. He was out of control. He was taking bad shots. He was committing every turnover possible, and he wasn't playing any defense. There was no repercussions from his actions. Never got benched. He just left them on. He played the, He played as much as Brady Manick did in that first half. So you can say that there's not a whole lot Hubert Davis can do, but there is a whole lot he, he can do because he's not – I, I'm meaning specifically with the care factor. If there are guys that just don't care about what's happening, play walk-ons. Then I don't. I, I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. And I mean, there's at this point. They, I mean, it, again, you got to win out in the regular season, and I, I just don't know if there are guys that are ready to handle that. I don't think they really care about handling that. So let's take a look at the box score. Duke's offense was at a high level tonight. They shot 58% from the field compared to Car- Carolina got up to 41%. I don't know how, because they were in the high 20s, low 30s for most of the game. Um, Duke was 9 of 19 from behind the three-point line. They're traditionally a really good three – traditionally a, a good three-point shooting team. Not so much this year. Entered enter the game shooting roughly 36%. But – that that wasn't the case tonight. Carolina, they were nine of twenty-two, so they shot forty-one percent. That was really their only form of offense for most of the game. Um, free throws. Carolina was just ten of fifteen. Duke was ten of thirteen. Didn't really matter ultimately. Turnovers. Carolina actually committed less turnovers than Duke. They committed just eight, but Duke got fourteen points off of those turnovers. Duke did commit twelve turnovers, but Carolina generated those into into twelve points. Rebounding. We talked so much entering the game. Carolina had to control the backboard because if you control the backboard, you control the tempo, you control the pace, you can, you effectively control the way the game's played. Carolina got got pummeled 40-24, to 24, and a lot of that was the fact that Armando Baycott missed roughly seven to eight minutes of that first half with two early fouls. And he's the one consistent rebounding force we have. But we talked going into it, this was going to be a gang rebounding game. Everybody had to go to the board. That didn't happen. Carolina entered the game the fifth best defensive rebounding team in the country at over 30 defensive rebounds per game. They just grabbed 18 of them tonight. Um, A lot of that was because, well, Duke didn't miss a whole lot of shots. But even when they missed shots, they, they weren't able to keep them off the offensive glass like they needed to to get back in the game to get certain stops. Um, second chance points, 9-2, to two, favor Duke. Bench points, 17-11, favor Duke. Points in the paint, 36-26, favor Duke. Fast break points were tied at 8. Blocks was actually in favor of Carolina, 3-2. to two. Steals in favor of Duke, 7-5. to five. Assist in favor of Duke, 20-13. to 13. Carolina never led in the game. Duke led for 39 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, as it was a complete domination tonight in the Smith Center. Let's move on to our quote of the game. 
and you were actually on hand for tonight's post-game work that I do during the post-game, which is effectively listening to the Tar Heel Sports Network while I write the recap for the Heel Tough blog. And towards the end of his interview with Jones Angel, um, after a difficult loss, asked how his team could respond. Hubert replied, I told our guys they can stay down on the mat and whine and complain and, and blame others, or they can get back up off the mat like I have and try to be better. But you said something that I thought was pretty eye-opening, was that Hubert Davis sounded indifferent, like it was just another game. And look, in the grand scheme of things, it is just, an, it, it is just another game because you still got – nine more of these things you got to play. But in the immediate thoughts or the immediate voice that we hear from our head coach after getting blown out from home or blown out at home against our arch rival and our head coach doesn't sound lifeless, as you call it, indifferent, that's that's saying a whole lot because that shouldn't have been a press conference where you're – you're trying to promote positivity after another blowout loss. You, 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 you've got to sound, you, you've got to sound like your fan base sounds in that moment, which is pure disappointment and pure frustration, not indifferent. I, I, I guess we're just so used to the way that Roy Williams was uh, when it came to these types of losses, where it was just. You know, a guy that had been through the ringer and just, you know, was kind of taking blame for everything that was going on. But I, I don't know. I mean, that's just not – it's not been Hubert Davis, um, you know. And, and part of the thing I think that's starting to get more and more frustrating is that, you know, there's there's not a lot of accountability being taken by anybody, not not anybody on the team. That's very evident in games that nobody wants to uh, say that they're the ones making mistakes. They want to point fingers and blame everybody else. And it doesn't seem like there's that much accountability being taken in the post game either. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that, that's just getting old. And, you know, it's, it's to the point now where I'm just, I'm, I'm sick of it. I want Roy Williams back. It's that, that's the point where I'm at. Um, I, I, I miss him on the sidelines because at least you, you know, had had that energy, um, and and I know that that's maybe that's just not what Hubert Davis is going to be, and it's still part of the adjusting process. But well, my my uh, thing was was remember everything we heard after he was hired. He's as a fierce a competitor that you're going to find. Have we seen him be a fierce competitor on the sidelines? I mean, we saw it in the NC State game, but, I mean, it can't be you're just going to bring it against your rivals if you're winning or blowing them out. I mean, I I don't – and, again, I mean, look, they didn't show the side. I wasn't as focused on the sideline as I was the other day against NC State because, yeah, when you're knocking down three-pointers and everything like that and your bench is going crazy, it's going to draw your eyes more often. And Mm -hmm. to be fair, they didn't really show either of the benches that often tonight. I was shocked by how little they showed Coach K on the bench. I I was waiting for the Coach K can to show up in the bottom right corner. I was waiting for the the 5K can or whatever the hell they they would roll out for him. But – 24 laps. I I, I mean, don't even give me that. That laps thing is stupid. I think they need to bring cursing back to the program (laughs) because apparently that worked. I I mean, I I don't – 
I don't know. It's it's just frustrating. And I'm not giving giving up on Hubert. Um, not even close. You know, I still think that he's a guy that needs time. But, you know, yeah, it, it is a little frustrating to feel like there are times where, you know, he, he's just not I, I don't know if it's if it's indifference, but I, I feel like at this point you just kind of wonder is he is he is he lost with this team and just doesn't know what to really say or do. And I mean, you know, I, I think people would probably be angry with that and would probably say that that's, that's not the good, a good sign of a head coach, but I don't really know if there's much you can do with, with this. You're, you're not adjusting what this team is 23 games into the season. The, the, the truth, the, the facts are the facts here. There are not enough guys on this team that care. There is not a vocal leader. There is not a leader on this team. And now you've just got to try to battle through. Hopefully that you, you have enough to be able to make the tournament. But I think part of it is that he just looks at his team and sees an uninspired group no matter how much he puts into it. So, uh, you know, at some point you can, you can say it all you want that you're going to keep bringing the energy, keep bringing the fight, all that. But at some point, you honestly just say, well, if I'm the only one bringing it, then what's the point? No, I mean, it's definitely – he's at a crossroads in his very first year as the head coach, and he'll never admit it publicly, but he's overwhelmed, as most first-year head coaches at this type of job would be when they're not getting the results – that I think not only are expected, but are attainable. When you look around the ACC, when you look around the landscape of of college basketball, there are good teams, but there aren't great teams, and you're neither one. You're an average basketball team at best. And Honestly, I wonder how close to the 19 team this team would be if the ACC was playing up to its normal standard. I mean, I understand you've won eight conference games, and and you feel you feel good about that NC State win. But outside of that, even the wins that you have in conference play, I mean, which which ones are the ones that you're looking at right now and feeling great about? There's none. Nope. There's none on the schedule. So you wonder where this team would be at, and. Maybe I'm just overreacting to tonight, but I I just I don't understand how against this team you look that flat. I don't rem- clearly, you know, I I didn't watch as intently back in 2000 in the 2010 matchup. You know, because we were younger then, we were still in high school then. So it was it, it's different now where we see things that we didn't see back then because we know the game a little bit more. I don't remember even that game where they got where they lost by 32 in Cameron. I don't remember even that game being this lifeless. That was really just the fact that they weren't talented enough. Yep. So I I mean that is I didn't I never expected this team to look like this tonight. I expected an effort for 40 minutes. And look, if they lost the game, it would be a close battle where Duke's talent just took over eventually. That that didn't happen at all. This team got ran out of the gate. And the first, I mean, the first 
two minutes of the game, you knew it was over. Yeah. They just didn't look prepared. They had nothing defensively. And you know, I, I, I said one of the biggest things that you would know about this team early on, you'd know they were ready to go. They had three open looks for R.J. Davis and Caleb Love early in the game. Three of those shots that they could have made, they didn't knock down a single one. That was a key that I talked about in the Louisville game. They came out, hit a couple of shots. They ended up winning that game. And it was one I pointed to in this game. They didn't hit those shots. And that really set the tone for the entire match. Let's move on to our stat of the game really quickly. And it's not a stat from the official uh, box score. It's a stat we heard on the Tar Heel Sports Network. When you combine the, the first five and a half minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, Carolina was outscored in that stretch 35-9. to um, It was an 11-point game at halftime. You had effectively worked yourself back into the game with a 20-8 run to close the first half. You think you come out, you continue that in the second half, you make it back a single-digit deficit, it's a, it's a Duke-Carolina game again. Instead, Duke popped off 10 straight points, and that effectively ended the game. And, look, you, you got to give credit to Duke as hard as it was because they came out and they got good shots and they made their shots. And it was just – it was a disheartening feeling because you didn't expect that because you don't usually get that in the first minutes of a game where it's usually like what you see in the Super Bowl or something like that where you're just trying to get to that first – that first time out, let the nerves settle in, and, and then the game really starts. And, and Duke, Duke started the, the game once that ball was tipped off in the air, and Carolina had no response for that after that. So let's take a quick break. We'll play you this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to come back get into, and get into some more takeaways from tonight's disappointing, disheartening, you can call it embarrassing, home loss to the Duke Blue Devils. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or older, minimum age and and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibited. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text to Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. 
or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things as well. We are getting excited ourselves for Super Bowl 56. I think the very first thing that we got to talk about, because it was my, my, my key to the game, well, or one of the keys to the game, and, and I know one of his two fouls wasn't on Bancaro, but for some reason – Hubert Davis decided to start out with Armando Baycott on, on Paulo Bancaro and said in the post game, well, they didn't really have a good matchup on for him either way. The, 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 the issue I have was this. Bancaro's their best player. Armando's our best player. We need to protect Armando as much as possible because we need him on the court as much as possible because he can carry you and keep you in the game. And he picked up 2,000 in the first two and a half minutes, one on Bancaro, one on Mark Williams that effectively took him out for seven to eight minutes. And I didn't under I didn't understand that. Um, look, A.J. Griffin was the best player on the court tonight for Duke. He scored 27 points. But – the game should have still started with either Manic on on Bancaro or Leaky on Bancaro, and you live with the results because the second that Duke saw that they were putting Armando on Paulo, their whole entire offense flowed to get him out of the game. And once he was out of the game, what happened? The same thing I told you would happen it was, is it was before that though. It didn't matter. That that move made no sense at all because Baycott is an even worse perimeter defender than Brady Manick, who you were trying to protect on your team because he struggled with some of those more athletic force. That made no sense. Now it's like I did I did say, you know, you had to live with Manick being. The, li- the liability for you on the defensive end against somebody, which who was it going to be? And we saw you know, multiple times, you know, when, whenever Leakey would switch on to Bancaro, then A.J. Griffin would be the guy to take over. When Leakey wasn't on Bancaro early on in the game, it was Bancaro taking over. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just right now, that's, that's the thing, but you can't have Brady Manick off the floor. You know, he is a liability for you defensively, but you have to have him on the floor. It's just that simple because, I mean, these last few games, he's been your best offensive player. Yep. So, I mean, that's the point that you're you're kind of at. I mean, do you go do you go super small and just run with you know either Kerwin Walton or Puff Johnson, but then that takes Armando Baycott off the floor. It's so these matchups. I mean, we, we knew that this matchup was going to be a tough one for Carolina, but yeah, that move made absolutely no sense to me at all out of the gate. That that was something that nobody was talking about that at all this week because nobody thought that Carolina would actually be that dumb. I mean, yeah, that's the way to that's the way to clarify. That's one of the worst coaching moves I have seen in a very long time in basketball. 
to put a guy that is even less uh, adept to guard the perimeter on a guy in Bancaro who, I mean, it was clear he wasn't going to go inside to start the game. Like, he knew he had the matchup, and he took advantage of it. Once you, you he came out of the game, Bancaro didn't do anything. Yep. He scored five points in the first 90 seconds, didn't score the rest of the half, only scored 13 points. But it's like it's like I told you when, when we previewed the game, he gets one guy in foul trouble off the court, everything's going to break down defensively, and that's, that's effectively what happened. He put Armando Baycott back in the game with roughly 10 minutes left to go in the first half. Baycott was able to play the rest of the half with just those two fouls. But the damage had already been done. Carolina was down 31 to 8. Um, they they closed with a 20 to 8 run. They made it 39 to 28. RJ Davis had a great look right before the half. And if that shot goes down, who really knows what happens? But that leads us into the second takeaway, which was the guards. And, and Caleb Love was just three of eleven from the field. Um or three of ten from the field. RJ Davis was four of eleven. They combined for just 19 points. And the pressure that Duke applied in the backcourt was evident early, and it, it, it just affected Carolina. They were sped up. you got to give credit to Wendell Moore Jr., to Jeremy Roach, A.J. Griffin, those Trevor Keels when he came off the bench. They really just took Carolina out of what they wanted to do on the offensive end of the court. And that was something that Carolina couldn't afford to have. This this game, like it has been for the last 10 to 15 years, it's an NCAA tournament game. And as great as Carolina's been in the front court, whenever they've beaten Duke, it's been the fact that their backcourt has outplayed Duke's backcourt because that's that's what happens in the NCAA tournament and that's what happens in this rivalry is whosoever guards play better usually win the game. And Caleb Love in his last seven games, just 27 for 102, which is a lot of bad in a lot of different ways. First off, 27 made shots isn't good. But also, he's not a guy that should be shooting the ball 100 times in seven games either. Um, But I think that was the most, I guess, the glaring thing was that you knew how important going into the game it was going to be that those two guys play well. And this wasn't a game where it could have been one or the other. You needed both. And for RJ, it wasn't a lack of effort. It was just a just a night where he he didn't have a great night from the from the floor. The same can't be said for Caleb Love. Um, the effort has to be questioned because he was lackadaisical and didn't care, and it was going through the motions. And um, that's not that's not what we want to see from a Carolina point guard. And I saw a lot of that on Twitter tonight saying that Carolina needs a Carolina point guard, and that simply yeah, isn't Caleb. Um, and that's that's really frustrating because we were confident he was going to play well entering the game because he rose up to the occasion both games last year, 25-7 and seven in Durham, 18-7 and seven in Chapel Hill. He grew up a Duke fan, so you thought that would play into it, that motivation factor to come out and play well against a team that – he grew up wanting to play against, and we got the complete opposite. And and it, it's it's why this brand of basketball it can be successful. But when you put so much on the guards, and you 
you're relying on them so much. When they don't have good nights, this is the result you're going to get more often than not. Yeah, and like I said, I knew it from the beginning. I knew when they had those three good looks out of the gate and they didn't make those shots, that was probably all she wrote because that's been this team all year. There is no way for this team to recover from slow starts. Nope. It just doesn't happen. No, because they, they panic. Win. And they, they yep. the, that's, that's what happened tonight. A 10-point deficit with 17 minutes up to go in the first half is manageable. You could have that. By the time you get to the first under sixteen timeout, times before the even before they got to halftime, and before they started to make that little run to get back into it, how many times did they come down the court and within fifteen seconds of getting the ball off the inbound were they taking a shot? Yeah, it's just everything gets sped up. And it's the same thing over and over again. They don't have that guy that can settle them down. And, yeah, they don't have a true point guard. It's just that simple. They do not have a guy that can get downhill and create things. That doesn't – it doesn't happen with these guys. And, and, I mean, look, I think I think at this point, R.J. Davis is the better point guard of the two. I, I think that's becoming very evident. And I don't get how Caleb Love was out there for as long as he was in the first half. I'd have taken him out probably about the eight-minute mark. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you talked about the fact they only had eight turnovers. Well, Caleb Love had four of them, and a lot of them were early in the game. And it allowed Duke to really establish that 23-point lead that you were talking about a little, little bit earlier. Yep. Um, and, yeah, there were a couple of times where – just not even just walking down the court. Um, one one time on the defensive end, had a chance to run over, saw the guy open before the pass was even made, just stood there. I, I don't – like at, at this point, that just drives me insane to see a guy that right now has pretty much destroyed his NBA future. Ain't nobody going to want that dude. Uh, it's just that simple. There's no there's no NBA teams watching him right now and saying, man, we got to have that guy on our team. I mean, it's just the, the, it, you've got to show more effort moving forward if you want to be able to make it to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And if not, Carolina's got to find a guy that can replace him even while he's still there. Well, I think not having Anthony Harris has shown up in a lot of different ways. Not, not having Dawson Garcia tonight, but and really, you know, since since he left the team, um, and, and you know, for personal reasons, and still wishing him and his family the best, it's really hurting this team because he was a guy that I think tonight you could have put him on Bancaro and probably felt a little bit better about your chances in this game. And we don't we don't know. Hopefully they can have them for that second matchup, but if they don't, you're going to be exposed again. That's going to be another issue that you're going to face that hey, you got to put Brady Manic on either Bancaro or Griffin. That team on the other side isn't going to change. They're not all of a sudden unless there's an injury, they're not going to take one of those two guys out of their starting lineup. So it, it's I think Dawson Garcia being there would have been a big help for them, would have still allowed them to have even more inside presence than they did when Baycott was off the four. And right now, I, I think that's 
that one it, with Anthony Harris, I mean, he, again, we've talked about it. The rotation is thin, and it's because, you know, the guys – you lost your two most important guys, uh, you know, all, all, off of your bench. I mean, to you know, Brady Manick was the guy that was there for most of the year. Um, you know, before Dawson Garcia had what happened to him in the game against Boston College and Manic eventually took over as a starter. But, yeah, I mean, it, th- those two injuries have really affected you and have pretty much rendered your bench ineffective. In well, specifically with Anthony Harris, his lack of availability means you really – you can't afford to put mm. – Love or Davis on the bench extensively because you don't have anybody off the bench that can come in and fill that void. Part well, tonight, of that, I would have rather lived and died with Kerwin Walton and Puff Johnson. Part of that's your own fault because you didn't play your freshmen when you had the opportunity to get them more experience. But not having that guy to come off the bench to settle the team down to just run the offense, set the defense. It's 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 why teams that play seven or eight guys, they usually don't win a lot of games and win games at a high level, and we're learning that the hard way this season. Let's move on. I mentioned the slow starts in the – or the, the slow starts in the first and second halves and the stat of the game, and I think the most concerning thing is that that's the first time that's happened at home. This team looked like what we've seen on the road at home tonight, and that – that's got to be troublesome because there was no excuse. Um, there was too much on the line tonight. There was too much energy in the building. You didn't have to create your own energy. The fans did that for you. This is one of the better crowds we've seen in recent Carolina Duke games. Was It, it was maybe an all-time crowd. If, if you're hearing from what the people that were there tell you that it was up there leading up to the game, the game day crowd this morning was maybe the best we've ever seen with game day in Chapel Hill. And it was really more the second half because you you closed so strong and you, you felt like they could bottle that up and bring that back in the second half and at least keep the game close and make it feel like a Duke-Carolina game. And it just – it, did, it didn't happen for him tonight, um, and it's something that um, well, I think we'll have to be wary of now moving forward. They've still got some some big-time games at home. they they still got Florida State coming into the Smith Center. That's going to be an important game for them. They, and it, they can't afford, as you mentioned, they can't afford to get down double digits early in games. They really can't afford to get down double digits at any point in the game. But let alone if it's within the first two media timeouts of the game, this team for even the the leadership or the experience that's on the roster, Brady Manick, a fifth-year senior, Leaky Black, a senior. You got Armando Baycott, who's a junior. Those guys, they, they, they even panic as well. And it's a sign, and maybe that's more of a sign of a first-year head coach and, and a new, virtually brand-new coaching staff, but – that's also something that we'll have to monitor. Rebounding. I, <laughs> Armando not being on the court for an extensive part really played a part in that. Still played 30 minutes, had five rebounds. Can't yeah. have. But, and I, I think that's the thing was that 
Um, this guy became a walking double-double. He's had three 20-rebound games in the last three weeks. He leads the ACC in rebounding by a relative wide margin. Um, and as you mentioned, 30 minutes, five rebounds. But it was going to need to be an, an effort from everybody on the court to go to the board. And there were simply times that Mark Williams was out rebounding three Tar Heels in the same vicinity as the basketball. They couldn't they couldn't match the physicality. Um, the toughness that Duke showed on the interior was something that, that, frankly, we haven't seen from a Duke team. Maybe since they won the national title in 2010, just with their physicality. The most frustrating part of all of it is that when this when that team has been beat, it's because they've been out tough. So that's an area where they've had questions before too, mm-hmm. and you didn't leave any chance for there to be questions tonight. You said it was going to be have to be a group effort. The guards that played in the game had five rebounds total. That's it. So, yeah, this needed to be one of Armando Baycott's better rebounding games. It simply wasn't. And you didn't have a guy on the team that had more than one offensive rebound either. So Duke did everything that they wanted to do to you in this game. And you're right. This was the game at home. What does that mean for March 5th's matchup? Like, you thought this game was tough? You thought there was pressure in this game for you to step up in front of your home crowd? I mean, in that game, look, there's going to be a lot of pressure on that Duke team to take care of business in that game. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have to deal with an environment that you have not dealt with before. You've not faced any environment even remotely close to that. You struggle with the environment at Notre Dame. You think that this environment at Cameron is going to be close to that? No, I mean, it'll be close to that four hours before game time. So, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, Florida State comes to the Smith Center. There's a couple other teams that come to the Smith Center, but that's the one one shining hope for this team is that the ACC, frankly, sucks this year. It's terrible. And you should be able to take care of business throughout the rest of the ACC schedule. Because even that Florida State team that we talked about, there was a time where they looked like they could be the second best team in the conference. But they no longer have Malik Osborne, and that team's looked different since his injury. So, I mean, it's just hard to be confident, though. Because I never thought that we would actually have to sit here after a game against Duke and say, did these guys care? Mm -hmm. That just blows my mind because there, I mean, clearly there are guys in the past that the rivalry hasn't meant as much to them as to some of the other guys that are on the court, but there's always those two, three, four guys where, They're stepping their game up. There are guys that over the years, that has been the games where they have shined the most. Remember that before his senior season, those were the games where Kennedy Meeks played his best basketball. Outside of that, I mean, he played okay. But for the most part, those games were the ones where he really took it to another level before that senior season. Um. And you don't see guys like that right now on this team. There's nobody tonight that came out and played their best game of the season because it was against Duke. I mean, Brady Manick had a good game, 
but we've seen that type of performance from him before. He's not, but, but it doesn't matter. He's not a guy that's being criticized here. You need to have guys that want to come out and put up huge performances in this game. You need guys that look forward to this game on the schedule the most of any game that they play this season. And I just don't feel like there are guys right now outside of maybe Creighton Lebo, who has lived in this rivalry for his entire life, that feel that way. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I think that's something that we've questioned at different times this year because the performance led us to believe does this team care? And this is the two times a year where – and look, Roy Williams' teams had the same issue where they had a lack of care at certain times in the year. But you never worried about that going into this game. No. And we didn't worry about that going into this game because of everything that was going into the game. The fact that you showed more care about the NC State game than this game is sickening. Um, and so with that, I, do, I did want to touch on the crowd because I, I do think they need to be recommended for their effort tonight. They had recommended to who? I don't know. Commended. Whatever. Um, They had every reason to quit cheering at the first media timeout and didn't. And for the for the most part, that's what kept Carolina in the game Mm -hmm. in the first half. And in the second half, you could feel that building wanting to explode. And it felt like if they ever pushed just enough. It could be the same effect that you see in Cameron and Allen Fieldhouse where the crowd effectively takes the game over. That's how that's how live it was in the Smith Center. We could hear it at home. It was reiterated on the broadcast, people attending the game. And, look, it's always like that for the Duke game, but tonight was different with it being Coach K's final time and Hubert's first time and all that. So – I really thought the crowd did a spectacular job given the result being in, in, engaged in the game. And, you know, we, we didn't do it in in the preview because it wasn't the right time. And Carolina didn't honor Coach K before the game because it wasn't the right time. We'll do it now, though. And in his final trip to Chapel Hill, he got the best of us. Um and we're going to miss hating him. We're going to miss rooting against him. You can't tell the history of this robbery without telling it from the Coach K perspective as he's the greatest coach the, the, the history of college basketball has ever seen. You can't tell the history of this conference without telling the history of Coach K because he's right there with Dean Smith and Roy Williams as the most impactful coach in the history of the ACC. And um, I, I know – I know he's got a, uh, you know, a smile on his face leaving the, the court tonight, and he should. Because Are you sure about that? I don't think I've seen that dude smile since he took the head coaching job. Man. Because his team played a, played a heck of a ball game. And um, we, we, we know that next year it won't be the same when, when John Shire rolls into town. It's still going to be Duke Carolina. And Coach K always said, 
Um, after Dean Smith's retirements, it's not about K versus Dean or, or K versus Roy. Duke and Carolina will be here forever. Um, and that's and that's still going to hold true as much as the media wants to tell you that it's not. It's still the best rivalry in sports. Just because this game didn't deliver doesn't lessen how great the rivalry is or how important it is and how much goes into it. But, uh, I, you know, I thought it was appropriate that we thank them. We're going to miss hating them. Still going to hate you. Still, still going to hate everything about your program, but you got to acknowledge the success that he's accomplished. And the rivalry wouldn't be the same if he wasn't the the guy on the sidelines co- coaching Duke for the last forty one years. And thankfully, uh, he did finish with a winning record in Chapel Hill. He still has a losing record in in, in Carolina. So, with that, guys, we are going to go ahead and shut down this edition of the pod. You can go over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for all the latest on the Duke loss. That article is already up for you guys. I'll be getting ready for Clemson before they go there on Tuesday night. As for the football side of things, um, Reese's Senior Bowl was today. Of course, quarterback Sam Howell was in attendance for that. Anthony will have you covered on that front as he continues to get you ready for the upcoming NFL draft. Weekly storylines are out. Also, you can check out the latest podcast we did. We broke down the 2022 schedule for the Tar Heels, one with a lot of question marks for a team that can be good or a team that can be bad. Also, a recruiting podcast is up as National Signing Day came and went on Wednesday. Carolina didn't sign any players in that class, but they did land an offensive lineman transfer. And Anthony and Zach take you through their top ten players for the 2023 class. As for our side of the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on uh, the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. Simply just search the Four Corners Podcast. Like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. That way you miss every great and somber edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? Do you want to thank you guys for listening? And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.